Let's turn to Colossians 3. Colossians 3. I regret that we do not have a year, a full year to spend in Colossians. I would really like to spend a year in Colossians because I think we need at least a year to just get a glimpse of what Paul's trying to say. And that may sound surprising to you, but the fact of the matter is we're blowing through this book so quick. I wish I had 10 sessions, just 10 sessions to go through Colossians 3 um, because there's so much in this. And Colossians 1, I'd like to spend at least six months in that. But we're blowing through this book. We're not doing it justice. I just want you to know that because there is a great deal here. We're not even coming close to exhausting it. And, and let me say something about the letter you all read. Doesn't it make a difference to hear it through the lips of your Lord? Yeah. I mean, doesn't it make it electric? Yeah. We will do this with Scripture. We will do this in the future. And uh, I'll give you a little tip here. You can always do this in your Bible reading. When you're reading the Gospels and Jesus is doing something, you can always go back and read it as if he is speaking. And then I turned to Martha and I said. And as you're reading that, it puts you in a new mountain from which to look. gives you a new lens. And remember this. You are in Christ. Nobody knows this. Leonard Sweet's going to find this out soon because we're writing a book together. But I'm doing this book entitled Jesus Manifesto. And it is an unveiling of Jesus Christ. And a lot of it is from Colossians, so you're going to recognize a lot of Colossians in it when it comes out. But what I thought to do, and I guess I want to just get your feedback on this, what I thought to do is, if the publisher will let me do it, is that letter that I let you all read, I want to make that the appendix so that everybody who reads that book will read that letter and it'll say, Dear, and I'll have a line, and it'll say, Insert your name. And they can read it. React to that. What do you okay. think about that? Yeah. You think yeah. that's good? Okay. Appreciate it. Well, then I'm going to try to try to get it in there. Colossians 3. When we get into this, boy, it's... Oh, we're going to find that Paul lands the airplane. What I mean by that is he's revealing Christ to us in such glory and such richness. And, and you can't walk away from Colossians 1 without saying... This is the carpenter from Nazareth. Wow. I had no idea he was this vast, this great, this glorious, this incredible. And then the mind boggler. All the fullness of God dwells in this one. The totality of divinity, all of who God is, has drained fully into the Son of God and it is in him. And then the mind boggler beyond that is this Christ you just read about now lives in you wow unbelievable and so he strips everything away except Christ and he basically is telling the Colossians you are complete in him you don't need anything else you don't need to chase anything else you don't need to pursue anything else you have him and he has you and he's enough he's all sufficient and in chapter 3 he lands the plane and what I mean by that is he takes us out of the heavenlies and we're going to see things come to the earth. And I have to be real careful how I bring you through this because we as Christians, evangelical Christians, it's most of what your background is, we have been taught to read chapters like this in terms of rules, laws, do's and don'ts. I mean, you all have been conditioned that way. And so when you read some of the lists that Paul goes into, your brain is automatically going to go into, okay, alright, well, wasn't that glorious, chapter 1 and 2, and now he's going to tell us what we need to do or what we can't do. So we're back under the, the law. And we've got to try to be good Christians now. That's because of how we've been conditioned to read Paul. I wanted to add here, in my, it actually says, like in the heading for chapter 3, rules for holy living. There you go. It's reinforced by... It says rules for holy living. It's reinforced yeah. by the translators. 
and the people who published the Bible. Now, what Bible is that? What translation? Okay, where's the nearest fireplace? Can we burn them? <laughs> <laughs> um, Wait, so what does yours say? Mine says living the new life. Yes! <laughs> Beautiful! <laughs> High five. Living the new life. What translation is that? That's it. New living translation. Yeah. I don't have one. Mine, doesn't even Mine says put on the new self. Which is not bad. Put on the new self. That's actually a quote. Well, mine is the inspired uh, <laughs> scripture. It's, I will tell you this. In my judgment, first of all, there's no perfect translation, number one. Number two, in my judgment, the new American Standard Bible updated edition is probably the most accurate you'll get to the original Greek. It's not the easiest to read. It's not the clearest. If you want clarity, New Living Translation is very clear. In terms of accuracy, I recommend the New American Standard Bible updated edition, which I have. I would recommend that, yeah. Let's start with chapter 3, verse 1. What I'm going to do tonight is take a very fine brush, and I'm going to paint in all the detail of not only verses 1 to 11, but the whole chapter. So I'm going to go through the whole thing. Please know this, there's a whole lot I'm going to leave out. We could literally spend 10 to 12 sessions on this and not exhaust it. So I'm just going to highlight some things and just share what's on my heart, okay? Are we ready? I'm ready. All right. I am ready. Let me explain something to you, man. I'm ready. You got a lot of to do, friend. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, and the word if could also be translated since, and I think that's a better translation and gets closer to the idea that Paul is trying to convey, therefore, since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. What are the things above? And the answer is Christ. Christ is above, and all the things that are in Him. In Ephesians 1, verse 3, Paul talks about being blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places above in Christ. So all the riches of Christ, everything that Christ is, that is what is above. And the exhortation here is to keep seeking to pursue the things which are above. In other words, pursue the Lord, pursue Christ, pursue all that is in Him, all of His riches, all of His wealth, all the treasures that are Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4 <clears throat> verse 18 which says while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal. We have been given eyes to see the invisible. We have been given spiritual eyes to see the unseen. And Christ of course is invisible and Christ and the things of Christ, the things that are above, the wealth, the riches that are in Him, are unseen. But as a Christian, we have been given eyes to see that which cannot be seen with the natural eye. The spiritual senses were given at the new birth. The spiritual ear, the spiritual eyes, the spiritual sense of taste. As believers, we pursue together things that are above. You, as a body of believers, are inclined to the invisible, to the things that are unseen. Let me explain what the Christian life is in a sentence. I'm going to give you a beautiful sentence, and it's a sentence you should never forget. The Christian life is becoming what you already are. Becoming what you already are. And that requires for the Lord to put salve on our eyes and to open them so that we can see the unseen. If we can see the unseen, we are looking at a room full of dead people. We're going to find this out in a minute. Vora, you're dead in the eyes of God. In the bookkeeping of God, the old Vora who was born into sin, who comes from Adam, fallen Adam, with all of the fallen urges that we all have she died she don't live anymore she's gone but there's someone else who's living you were raised again into a new humanity a new creation and I'm going to give you another sentence 
you now are living in the presence of the past. You're living in the presence of the past. What happened in the past? Vora died. Seth died in the past. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God I died. Thank God. Yeah. Thank God I died in the past. I'm living in the presence of the past. I'm dead. But I'm also living in the presence of the future. That I am part of a new creation that will fill this universe. And Christ is the substance of that new creation. So I'm also living in the presence of the future. And that's why it requires eyes to see. And that's why we need to remind each other of what reality is. What reality is, is that you and I are part of a new humanity, a new creation. We are in Christ. We are holy, pure, and without blame in Him. And He's in us. That requires eyes to see, eyes that are not physical. It requires a different set of eyes. And we have an instinct, a spiritual instinct deep within us to pursue our Lord. We have an instinct in us, an impulse in us to seek things that are above. And if... If you're like me, and I think you are, if you spend any length of time living in the earth and having your mind on earthly things, you don't get away, you don't meet with the saints to hear truth and reality and remind each other, right? You stay away and you don't spend any time with your Lord at all with that, to get that living touch. You know what I'm saying? In other words, you just live on the earth, then something inside starts to decay. Your spirit has an instinct to pursue your Lord, to reach out and touch Him who is invisible, you know, to have an encounter with Him, to hear Him. And uh, something starts to die. Your spirit starts to, to wither. It's like going without food. Man, I'm hungry. i got to get some food. <laughs> I'm dying here, right? That's all bound up with Paul saying, seek the things that are above. Pursue your Lord. Pursue Christ because you're already there with Him. Now pursue Him. And this is, not, this is not getting something you don't already have. It's getting more of what you already have. More of Him. Because the name of the game here, folks, the big mission is that Jesus Christ will be expressed visibly on this planet. And the only hope, the only hope That Jesus Christ, the carpenter from Nazareth, the glorious Lord, the only hope that He will be seen visibly again before His return, His physical return, the only hope is the ecclesia of God. You are the only hope that Jesus Christ will be made visible. And that's why we meet the way we do, is to make Him visible. That His image would be seen on the earth. That's where we're headed. We're getting glimpses of it. We're touching a little bit of it. But that's where we're headed. And so that one day when a visitor comes here, they will say two things. The Lord is here. And I can't explain it. I don't understand it. But I have seen Him. And that does not happen in the typical church. Where someone walks away and says, I've heard him, I've seen him, I've touched him. He lives here. He's here. God wants his son to be made visible again. And saints, ecclesia is the only hope for that. A functioning, living, breathing body, his body, revealed. So pursuing the things above, verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on the earth. And so, in the days ahead, we're going to learn how to set our minds on things above. Uh, Sister Megan shared about, you know, you talked about how that you had the mindset that, well, the time I seek above things is in that, you know, however long it is, that little quiet time, and then I go and I, my mind's on earthly things. Well, we are going to learn how to fellowship with our Lord and draw from Him all throughout the day Amen. in whatever we're doing. Now, Paul is not saying, forget the earth, escape from the earth, and just be aboveing all the time. Now, some Christians have that mindset. No, it's actually be in touch with the heavens, pursue what's in the heavens, pursue Christ, and bring Him on the earth. That's really what this is about. Bring Him here, because He is eventually going to come and fill all things. But right now, 
the Father wants him expressed. And how does he do it through a body who's in touch with the above? One day in the future, we'll have a meeting. The whole meeting, the theme of the meeting will be aboving. I'm inventing a new verb. We're going to above in the whole meeting. In other words, the whole meeting from beginning to end is all going to be from the viewpoint of the throne. From the viewpoint of we being seated in heavenly places with Christ. A view from the throne from beginning to end. Does that sound exciting to you? We're going to be aboving in that meeting. Yeah, does it? Yeah, that is pretty good. Thank you. I might have to steal that from you and not give you any credit. Okay, this is what I'm talking about right here. Did you hear that response? Yeah, okay, all right, good. You're with me now. Again, look with eyes not physical. Verse 3. For you have died. I'm still breathing. No. In the bookkeeping of God, in His calculations, you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now that is an interesting phrase. Your life is hidden with Christ. It's all bound up with Jesus Christ. Because you were in Him from the beginning. You were in Him when He died that horrible death and you died with Him. You were buried with Him and then you were raised again. And not only that, but you ascended with Him and you've been enthroned with Him. And then in His eyesight, according to Romans 8, you have already been glorified. Because He sees the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. And He is in the beginning and He is in the end at the same time. So from his perspective, it's already done. He wrapped it up before it even started. This is how great your Lord is. Time is in him. Time is inside of him. He's at the end and at the beginning at the same moment. He's Alpha and Omega. So it's already happened. That's great assurance and that should take a lot of pressure off of you. That it's already happened. But, what does it mean to be hidden with Christ? Your life is hidden. Now, think about it. A non-Christian who is not in touch with spiritual things and does not have that spiritual sight or spiritual hearing, a non-Christian looks at Daniel, he doesn't see all the glory of the Father living inside him. He doesn't see that. He sees a man with a hat and glasses. Who talks funny? Um, no, I'm just playing with you. Just playing with you. We love your accent. Okay, he doesn't see the glory The billowing glory of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, living, breathing, beating inside Him. You don't see that. That's hidden. He didn't see that Christ is being formed in you. The very Son of God is forming His image in you. He didn't see that. He didn't see that you, right now, are seated in heavenly places in Christ. He didn't see that. It's hidden. But one day, one day, there will be, on this planet, the manifestation of the sons of God. I just quoted Romans. That what is hidden will be manifest. And the carpenter, the one we we serve and love, the carpenter from Nazareth, who was brutalized, crucified, which is basically torture. Crucifixion was the worst kind of cruelty and torture that a human being could undergo. It's never been trumped. The Romans had it down to a fine science. If you study crucifixion, that's what it was. Here he is, the son of glory, the creator. He's mocked, spit on. One day, he too will be manifest to the universe, to both the dead and the living, that he, in fact, is Lord of this world. The one who was crucified, smitten, beaten, mocked, He's going to have the last word. And to use a book title from a best-selling book, it's going to be his time. You ever heard the, the book, Joel Osteen? It's my time. It's your time. No, it's going to be his time. And in that day, what's hidden in Daniel will be made manifest. The manifestation of the sons of God and the world, they will look upon him who they have pierced. And they will fall on their knees at the feet of the carpenter who created everything. That's your Lord. Isn't that awesome? That's who He is. He took it all. But He will have the last word. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And in that day, in that moment, 
your life, my life, which is hidden with Christ in God, will be made manifest. We will share His glory. And we'll put off this old dead carcass, which gives us all the problems. If you haven't realized it, it's your flesh. Your flesh lives in your body. Your body is now flesh. It has the sin nature in it. Oh, but from the eyes of God, it's dead. Well, you'll put it off and you will be glorified with Him. And that's what He says here, doesn't He? Verse 3, You have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, when He's revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. That's your hope, brothers and sisters. Your hope is resurrection. Your hope is a glorified body. Your hope is glory, sharing the same glory that Jesus Christ has. And Jesus prayed that when He prayed for His disciples. He says, Father, the glory You have given Me, I have given them. Brothers and sisters, there is glory in You. The hope of glory. That's what the hope of glory is. That one day, what we are will be manifest to the world. But right now, we can only see it with eyes not physical. And we can remind each other that, sister, God really does love you. Not only that, but He dwells in you. And you're in Him. Holy, pure, and spotless. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And one day it will be manifest. For you will share His glory. I know that sound. About 3 o'clock in the morning, every night, I am awakened to that sound. And I am not exaggerating. It goes off about between 1 and 3 a.m. Every night. I have never been in a meeting in my life. I've been in a lot of meetings and shared a lot of messages. This is the most distracting meeting I've ever been in my entire life. That's it. Thank you. We'll just put a period after that. We don't want to give uh, Slewfoot any credit for anything. All right. Verse 5. I want you to know I'm just blowing through this. Brothers and sisters. Thank you for turning it off. I'm blowing through this. There's so much more here. Okay, let's look at verse 5. Now, get ready, folks. Now he's going to lay the law down. You ready? He's going to throw the law down. Hmm? Here are your rules. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. And here's his list. To immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. I'm going to stop there. You have to remember that the Colossian Christians, most of them were heathen pagan Gentiles. Okay? The common coin of the day was sexual immorality. It was um, very common. It's not much different than our culture, actually. <laughs> it was very common, it was very common uh, for men to sleep with prostitutes. Incest is not best, but it was somewhat common in that day. You had the temple prostitutes, and it was very normal. It was warp and woo for the culture. It was in the drinking water. I mean, sexual morality reigned. So that was their past. That's what they came out of. And I, I won't go through these words with you in detail, but immorality, some translations say fornication, all that is, the specific meaning is sleeping with prostitutes. That's what it really means. The general meaning is any sex outside of marriage, sexual intercourse now, any sexual intercourse outside of marriage, whatever it is. And he talks about impurity, and this has to do with impure thoughts. Sexual fantasies, basically. Uh, and then he goes into passion, which is lust. You can throw pornography in here. Um, evil desire and greed. And many scholars believe the greed there is he's talking about sexual greed, the desire to have more, you know, excessive. Okay, here's the point. He is not laying down a law. What was happening is, no doubt, there were some of the believers there that were drifting to their past patterns. You know, we had this going on in Corinth. You know, some of the single brothers were sleeping with prostitutes. And there was someone who was involved in incest. Remember that? Mm -hmm. 
So Paul is not giving a list of laws. What he's doing is he's addressing a specific situation. And the way he's doing it is actually pure genius as well as highly spiritual. He's saying Christ is your life. You have Christ living in you. You're part of a new creation. The old Adam is dead. The person you used to be when you used to do these things is dead, extinguished, annihilated. Live according to who you are. And your new nature in Christ, who you really are, to see with the eyes of God who you really are in Christ, has no instinct, has no compulsion to those things. That's not part of who you are. You see the difference there? This, this is not who you are. And then he, he makes it very clear that he's talking about people who do not have Christ. This is their pattern of living. He says it in the next verse. For it is because of these things the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. He's not saying they're sons of disobedience. In fact, just a few verses later he's going to tell them that they are holy and beloved and elect, chosen by God. Live according to who you already are. You're part of a new creation. The new creation has no instinct, has no desire, the new creation for these things. These things are part of the old creation, and the old creation is done away with. And Christ destroyed. He, Christ, Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross, not only did he forgive our sins, he destroyed the power, the dominion, the control of sin. Now that includes addiction. And some of these things, because all those things that he mentioned in that list are sexual. Some of these things are addictive. Okay? I mean, pornography, for example, there's a lot of, it's mostly men, are addicted to pornography. It's very common. Addiction, stronghold. Something's very hard to break. Okay, now, again, this is part of the old creation. Here's the dual dilemma. We have died in Christ. Adam... The old Adam, the old race, has been annihilated. And at our baptism, Adam drowned. But as someone once said, the sucker can still swim. <laughs> so, on the other side of it... <laughs> the fact is, the fact is, you're dead. And the old creation is dead. And the deeds of the old creation is dead. But the other side of it is... There's a walking, listen, there's a walking in that. That's why he says, put to death the members of your body in relation to this. So there's something that, there's a walking in that death. The power of Jesus Christ to destroy and defeat all addiction. We're talking about lifestyle now. These people live this way, you know, that was their lifestyle. Is available, but I'll tell you something. No addiction will be broken in your life if you don't want to get rid of it. That's the first thing. And that may mean you need to do some aboving and seek the things above and say, Lord, work in my heart. Press upon me who I am in you and who you are in me so that I want to get rid of this. There's something the Lord wants, and it's not small. And we're not here by accident. Let me just back up to verse 4. When Christ who is our life, Christ who is our life, listen, Jesus Christ, the living God, your Lord, lives in you. But the beauty of that, as awesome as that is, is that you, Mark, and Jason, and Paula, and Amy, and even Rodrigo, can live by His life. Can learn to live by Christ. Now that's exciting, to be able to live by divine life. And here's what the church is. Here's my definition of the ecclesia. Here's my definition of the church. I can't improve upon it. It is this. It is a group of people who are learning how to live by an indwelling Lord and who are displaying Him visibly. That's your mission. To live by an indwelling Lord. We learn to do that together. We can never do it as an individual. We learn to do it together. We were meant to do it together. And to display Him and to reveal Him. So, Christ our life. Beautiful. That's something you want to underline. Christ who is our life. Verse 6, It is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Notice, he is not saying that they are the sons of disobedience. Because they're not. 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, 
you, he's talking to the church, which he's talking to us too, you are not appointed to wrath. Praise God. You are not appointed to wrath. So don't live like people who are. But you're not appointed to wrath. And in them you also, verse 7, in them, in these things that he mentions, you also once walked. This was your lifestyle at one time. When you were living in them. But now, also, and he mentions, he's got another list here, folks. Not only put away those things, not only that, but put them all aside. Anger, which is um, outbursts of anger. Outbursts. Or wrath, rather, which is a, a, a seething hatred. Malice, which is uh, wishing someone ill will. Slander. Satan is adversary. Devil is slanderer. Now right there you're getting a picture of who the enemy is. He slanders. He defames the character. He accuses. He speaks ill of. That's what slander is. An abusive speech from your mouth. What are some other translations for abusive? Filthy language. Filthy language. Okay. Railing. Railing. Okay. Blasphemy is slander. That last one, though, after he says blasphemy. Filthy communication. This is abusive speech. It also contains the thought of obscenity, profanity, cussing somebody out. You ever been cussed out? Well, that's what that is. Okay, brothers and sisters, real simple. This is not your nature. This is not who you are. And Paul is saying, put them off. Like a set of clothes, put them off. Take them off. Because it's not who you are. That old bird dog who did that stuff is dead. So put it off. Now, obviously, there was something going on in Colossae for him to mention this. Again, he's not giving a list of rules and do's and don'ts. He's not doing that. In fact, he took dead aim at that chapter too. Don't listen to somebody who says, touch not, do not, do this, do this. He's basically telling them again, those of you who are slandering, those of you who are using profanity, those of you who are outbursts of anger, he's saying, this is not who you are. This is not your nature. You're part of a new humanity. It's not you. Just put it off. Take it off like a, a set of clothes. And lying. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old humanity, the old self, the old man with its evil practices and have put on the new man, the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Who created the new humanity? Jesus Christ. And what does the new humanity look like? Jesus Christ. And that's who the new humanity is. In Romans, he says, put on, clothe yourselves with Christ. And here he's saying, put off, take off, like a set of clothes. This is the imagery he's using. All these old things because they're part of the guy who, who died. They're part of the old creation. Take them off, like clothes that don't fit. And put on Christ. Walk in who you are. Become who you are. See, that's the message. Now that's a liberating message. Become who you are. Walk in who you are. It's a beautiful message. And in baptism, and, and the imagery is going back to baptism now. In baptism, when the early Christians baptized, here's what they did. When a person came to the Lord, they would take off whatever clothes they had on, symbolizing the peeling off of the old creation, the old humanity, the old Adam, the old self. And then they would be baptized. Actually, we're baptized in the nude. They probably had an undergarment on, but they were baptized. And then they put on a new set of clothes. And they were always white, indicating the putting on of Jesus Christ. You know, there's so many things in life, in our Christian lives, whatever traditions we've been brought up in, that we were taught wrong. Before I get to that, because I want to get to baptism, it's all wrong. It's really important that I say this. If you think about this question, okay, we have Christ in us, and we can live by His life. We can follow the instincts of spiritual life. And He's going to get into what that looks like when you're following the instincts of Christ in you. Those new impulses, those new desires, those new promptings that are within us. 
if the Christian life is living by Christ, then why does Paul have to give any teaching at all? Why doesn't he just say, Christ is in you, live by Christ, and see you in a year? Right? You ever thought about that? Alright, here's the reason. Even though Christ lives in you and you can live by His life, what cuts you off from that is one, to be educated out of it. You can be educated out of living by Christ. Okay? And here's how. God wants you to be a good Christian and the way you do that is to try as hard as you can. Now that, brothers and sisters, is the message that is underneath most every sermon we hear today. Is God wants you to be a good Christian and that means you need to try harder. You need to do better. You need to be more serious. You need to pray more. You need to read the Bible. Whatever it is. But the bottom line is you need to do more. And what does that do? That puts you in the position of trying to live the Christian life. And when you're trying to live the Christian life, Christ is not living right. through you. Do you understand? Because you're trying to do it. And guess what? That is impossible. Because the Christian life is impossible. It's totally impossible. It's only Him possible. He is the only one who can live the Christian life. The other thing is, you'll never do it alone. You are meant to be part of the habitat. So Christ lives through us together. We learn to live through Him together in community. See? Okay, that's the one thing. The other thing is, bad teaching can not only uneducate you from living by Christ, because you're trying to do it, because you're told you're supposed to, and it's your energy and not His, but the other thing that bad teaching does is what happened in Colossae. They were taught these rules and regulations, and they were trying to be religious and trying to do the, the good thing on their own, and they miss Christ. But sometimes bad teaching can go the other way, where you're told things that violate your new nature. And then you believe that it's okay to do those things. But in reality, it does violate your new nature. But what happens is you silence the Lord in you. And you turn a deaf ear on Him. Okay? Now, I'm not going to give examples, but I have been around Christians that felt that certain works of the flesh were okay. Because we're all sinners and it's okay to do this and to do that, you know. God loves us and we're under grace, so let's just go ahead and live for the flesh. It's libertinism, it's the opposite of legalism, you know. And these people are very carnal and they're, they're very fleshly. And yet they're waving the banner of God's grace. And if somebody hears that message, I've watched it corrupt people. They hear that and they go, oh, I'm under grace, God loves me, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm just going to go crazy. See? And what happens is they turn a deaf ear to the Lord in them. They desensitize themselves. Christ is trying to speak, but they just they won't hear it because they've listened to this teaching and they've imbibed it. And so the voice of the Lord goes silent. Verse 11, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. In the new creation, in the new humanity, in the church of the living God, it is Christ all and in all. There are no distinctions of race, of social order. Here again, we're looking through different eyes. We're looking through reality. We're looking through the eyes of God. And Christ is all and in all. And I'll say something about the Jew and the Gentile. These were the two most hostile races in human history toward one another. And in the church, there is no Jew or Gentile. It's been erased. They see one another as Christ. If you see one another as being in Christ, and we will continue to hammer this and remind one another, it will affect how you treat one another. I'm going to give you a metaphor for Jew and Gentile. Not the race, but metaphorically, religiously. The religious Jew, religiously, metaphorically, is the person who's scrupulous, Highly conservative, does everything right, dresses right, he's very concerned about proper conduct, proper behavior. 
This is the Jew, metaphorically. And they're legalistic. And they're self-righteous. And they're judgmental. The Gentile is the person that walks through the door and you're like, where did you get those clothes? Don't you know how to tuck your shirt in? Why don't you shave? And they basically live a free, free, beyond free lifestyle. There's no restraint. There's roughness. There's inappropriateness even. There's even a bent toward carnality. Okay? And libertinism and anything goes. And the church of Jesus Christ has both Jew and Gentile. Now I will make a confession. When I came to the Lord at age 16, when I really gave my life to Him, I was brought up in a denomination. My early years were in a denomination that was so legalistic it would make Moses look like Michael Moore. <laughs> okay? Very, very legalistic. I mean, women can't cut their hair, cannot wear jewelry. In fact, men can't wear jewelry either. To drink wine, to even have a sip of wine, is to sin against God because Jesus turned water into grape juice. <laughs> By the way, that's not true. We were taught not to follow our spiritual instincts. We were taught to judge other people. And I was a judgmental person. I was judgmental against other Christians. If they had something going on in their life, a tragedy, a struggle, a problem, they fell into something, man, I was self-righteous. I would look at that and say, they don't love the Lord. And um, I remember when I was with my parents, you know, uh, we would have family, my whole family's Italian, so they drink wine. You know, I just thought it was the worst thing in the world. But they were all sinning. You know, they were claiming to be Christian. Movies, most movies you can't see. On and on. Thankfully, in my early 20s, the Lord caught a hold of me and I began to see who Christ is in the way of grace, in love and compassion, and how He hates. If there's something the Lord hates, it's self-righteousness. It's judgmentalism. And I'm not making that up, folks. Just look at your New Testament and look at the people who really angered him. It was those self-righteous, judgmental Pharisees. In the church, the Jew has been crucified. There is no Jew. And in the church, the Gentile has been crucified. There is no Gentile. There is only Christ who is in all and he is all. And so, brothers and sisters, if there's any Jew in you, just know this. Christ destroyed it 2,000 years ago, and He will get it in your life. He will wreck it in your life. And I'll tell you what, if you're part of this fellowship and you continue, and traveling on this learning curve, or unlearning curve, is pretty steep. If you continue, there will be no vestige of Jew in you. But to the Gentile, the same word. He crucified the Gentile, put him out of the way, and so he will get that in your life too. So there's hope for both, because there's no room for any of them, only Christ. Because in Christ, there is no race. You understand? We are part of a new species, and we don't look at one another. The color of our skin, the accents we have, or our social class. And uh, this is what the Church of the Living God is, brothers and sisters. It's Christ is all in all. Okay, real quickly. Beautiful. Look at this. Verse 12. Here's the verse you want to underline out of the whole chapter. If you ever read this again and you, you're tempted to put on the legalistic glasses of rule and regulation, hopefully you will destroy those glasses forever. But just remember this. So as those who have been chosen of God... Holy and beloved. I'm going to say that again. You ought to respond. You are chosen of God, holy and beloved. Praise the Lord. That's who you are. See, Paul never strays from that. See that? He's telling him who you are. This is who you are. You're holy. It doesn't change. Whatever happens doesn't change. You're holy. You're beloved. That does not change. 
And uh, you are chosen of God Himself, handpicked by the Father. So now, because you are these things, again, put this on. Let this be your lifestyle. This is the instincts of the new creation of who you are. Put on a heart of compassion. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on gentleness. Put on patience. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now, brothers and sisters, I have a question. What is compassion? I'm going to go right down the list. What is compassion? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is compassion. What is kindness? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is kindness. What is humility? Okay, you don't get to answer anymore. What is humility? I want to drive this in, folks. This is hugely important. What is humility? Jesus Christ. What is gentleness? What is patience? What is long-suffering? You know what long-suffering is? It's to suffer long with one another. What is forbearance? Jesus Christ. What is love? Jesus Christ. Forget the list. Those are attributes of your Lord. It is Christ who is all these things. And as you live by Him, guess what? You will see humility. You will see forbearance. You will see kindness. Now, now let me make an observation about this church. Very young church. I have seen a couple things in this church. This church has a spirit of kindness. There is a spirit of kindness in this church. There is a spirit of humility in this church. Very much so. Now, is there a spirit of long-suffering in forbearing one another, in forgiving one another? I don't know yet. And neither do you. Because it's going to take somebody to kick against the traces for us to find out. It's going to take somebody to really push buttons. It's going to take somebody to really do something to you. To find out if this it's gonna take somebody sorry. No. It's gonna take somebody when that first person crosses you or says something to you or hurts your feelings or pulls a stunt, well then we will see how much of Christ is exhibited. I will tell you this, I am very impressed with what the Lord's doing here in the lives of the saints. And that's all I'll say about it. But remember this, everything you see here, all these things are a counteraction to the list that he stated above. Wrath, anger, this is the counter. This is Christ. Those other things are not Christ. And who are you? You're someone who's in Christ and someone in whom Christ lives. And the church, this is written to a church, the church is Christ all in all. So that which is incompatible is outside of her. Alright, here we go. Verse 15, I'm just going to read through here quickly. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Underline the word thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Circle uh, thankfulness again. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. And here a third time, thanks. He uses the word thanks six times in this letter. Apparently there were some of the saints not thankful. And let me make another confession. My basic nature, the way that I'm wired, is I'm a glass half-empty guy. I mean, that's my basic nature. That's my personality. It's the way I was built. If I look at the glass, I see it as half empty. That means that for me, I must, and I do, let's put it this way. Some people are more naturally, Adam has his good traits too, right? Some people are more naturally thankful than others. There's people who are just, they're in the world, they're non-Christians. They look at the glass, it's half full. I'm not that guy. So I, recognizing this, death has to happen in me. 
and the spiritual instinct being very sensitive to be alert to thankfulness to be alert to the Lord in me because the Lord in me is thankful it's something I consciously have to be aware of and so your instinct as a Christian is to be thankful and if you're like me and I'm just speaking to the people who are like me now because if you're not like me you're just automatically thankful but people like me I need to and this is what I do I literally sit down and think about the things that God has done in my life and then I'm thankful for them you know then that's not hard to do I mean it's counting your blessings so I count my blessings and then I got a lot of blessings and I have a lot to be thankful for but that's something that I consciously have to put to death mortify your deeds well that's one thing unthankfulness if you're like me let me just kind of enlighten you a little bit you can thank God that you have two eyes that see you have nothing else to be thankful for you get two eyes that can see as far as I can tell everybody in this room has two arms and two legs and after I went to South Africa I was reminded of how thankful I really am when I saw people living in squatter camps who did not have electricity or running water boy I'm thankful that made me a much more thankful person and I have a lot to be thankful for and I have two arms and two eyes and so forth I'll tell you one of the things that was amazing to me in my own life is to watch our sister who's with the Lord now Marietta here's a woman who cannot eat she can't taste food she is tied to a hospital bed in a clinical room for Christmas she's been there for months her body is decaying and I never heard that sister complain she lived in her home for months never heard her complain about anything and up until the end she was thankful and uh, that woman showed me how to be thankful and she also showed me how to die so thank the Lord for her what a light in a dark world so be thankful okay now the word of Christ is Christ speaking it's not only in speaking in the Gospels that we read about his words but it's also him speaking now in a meeting when someone shares and you recognize it's Christ that's the word of Christ how do you let it dwell in you richly you have to open your mouth and repeat it remember I said this to you before you've got to open your mouth and repeat what you hear if everything you hear tonight stays in your notebook and you never repeat it either through a prayer either through sharing or through singing you will lose it it will not become yours in experience you have got to open your mouth and say it and so he's saying in this text speak them in songs in hymns in spiritual songs and I would like to give an exhortation open yourself up to the idea of turning the ministry that you've heard in Colossians into a song I don't have time to get into how to write a song but some of you know how to do that and one day I'll, I'll go into it and it is in my book Finding Organic Church but you can write a song and if you can't do it by yourself grab a sister, grab a brother say hey let's come over, let's have lunch and let's talk about maybe writing a song together some of the most beautiful songs that are in your songbook have been written by brothers and sisters sometimes one, sometimes two and there they are and we sing them and we're reminding each other of Christ and his riches okay here we go wives obey everything your husband tells you to do Amen. for that is what the Lord wants you to do right isn't that right is that what that says okay so all, all the sisters have perked up now they're listening submit is a word that is not the same as obey <laughs> let me tell you what submission is submission is an attitude it is a deferring a yielding attitude obedience is, is something that is pretty much unconditional and then he says as is fitting in the Lord now that's revolutionary for that day and it's revolutionary in that day for him to turn around and turn the corner on the husbands because in that day it was a patriarchal society whatever the husband said went and there was no responsibility on the husband basically he was um, chief cook and bottle washer period and the woman can be downtrodden and so forth and there are cultures like that today he was a revolutionary because 
he said submit. And he says it's fitting in the Lord. He brought Jesus Christ into it. And let, me, let me point something out to you. When we said in the beginning that all that is sufficient in the Christian life is Christ. We don't graduate beyond anything else. We can explore Him and His riches for eternity and we'll never exhaust Him. Then the question is, well, what about other things? Like husband-wife relationships. What about relationships in the church? Isn't those other things? No, they're not. Because He always brings Christ back into it. As is fitting in the Lord. If you count the number of times He mentions Jesus or refers to Christ... In chapter 3, where he's talking about these practical things of home, the church, your relationship with one another. Then he talks about master-slaves, the workplace. He keeps bringing the Lord into it. So we never get beyond Christ. He keeps coming back to Him. But here's the thing. Wives, submit to your husbands. N.T. Wright, who is regarded as the foremost New Testament scholar in our day. I had the opportunity to speak with him at a conference. I got to know him. He translates this. He's a Greek scholar. He translates it this way. Wives, treat your husbands with respect. That's really closer to what Paul's saying. As is fitting to the Lord. If he tells you to go jump off a bridge, that's not as fitting in the Lord. So you're not going to do that. Right? But then he turns the table on the husbands and he says, Husbands, you love your wife. Yes, love is Christ, but I want to give you a practical definition of how Christ loves. Love is benefiting another person at the expense of yourself. You can't do that. Not all the time. Neither can I. But there's someone who can. And if you slip into that old, you have Jesus Christ inside you to move you back to Him. You see that? So this is not law. This is not rules. This is who Christ is. Jesus Christ, through the wife, respects the husband. And Jesus Christ, through the husband, loves the wife. And don't be embittered against them, he says. Uh, Don't resent them. Don't treat them harshly. Because in that day, you see, you have to understand the mindset. The guy was chief cook and bottle washer. And here Paul Tarsus is telling me to love my wife, to benefit her, to express myself. What? (laughs) So then he says, ah... Don't be bitter. Don't resent. Don't. That's not part of your nature, who you are now. And then he goes on to, I'm just going to read the rest. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Okay. Brings the Lord in there. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Uh, I think this passage is basically referring to This is something that's easy to slip into. To have such high standards for your kids that they get exasperated and they feel like it's impossible to please you. Now when I said that, the Holy Spirit, Christ in you, is speaking. Even to me. All the fathers. Fathers have a temptation to do this. But it's the old man. The new man is to treat them in ways that they don't get exasperated. Slaves... All the slaves in the room. In all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merrily please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of that wrong which he has done. And that without partiality. And then he turns the table to the master, which is unthinkable in this time. Masters, grant your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. And uh, you must understand in the first century, slavery was such an embedded institution that to even think about removing it in that time would be like in our day, thinking about getting rid of automobiles, gas and electricity. It was incomprehensible. And so even though Paul was against slavery, the best he can do, just like, you know, how would you like it if I said, all right, guys, turn off your gas, don't use gas, give up your uh, automobiles and start riding a bike because of all the damaging things it does. I mean, you would look at me like I'm from Planet 10 and say, later. 
right? Well, that's what it would be if he said, you know what, guys? The slavery thing is wrong. The best he can do is to say, Masters, you have a master you're going to give account to. And when he writes to Philemon, who had a slave, who ran away, it's a big, huge hint to let the guy go. That's what Philemon is. So he's basically saying to the slave, you're not serving this human being, you're serving the Lord. And to the master, this person is created in the image of God. You're going to give an account. So live by the new nature. The new nature is to treat your slave fairly and lovingly and justice. And really, you know, he didn't come out and say it, but even possible, let them go. And to the slave, to serve the Lord as you serve. And I think this has, for me, this has great application for work. So he's dealing with the home. He's dealing with the workplace. When I was a teacher for many years, these passages were helpful to underscore the Lord speaking in me. The Lord's life in me. To underscore that. To recognize that I'm not serving this human boss. I'm serving the Lord. And to live by Christ. And that exhortation that whatever you do in word and deed, do in the name of the Lord Jesus. The name of Jesus is the equivalent of His person. It's another way of saying, for me to live is Christ. But whatever I do, I'm living by Him. Whatever I do, I do it in the name of Jesus, in his person. And in so doing, I am thankful.